0: Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Mary and Jesus. All right, praise God. Since it's Mother's Day today, I want to talk to you this morning about Mary and Jesus. And how fitting today since we're celebrating mothers, future mothers, spiritual mothers, chicken mothers. And because Mary, the mother of Jesus, is by far the most famous mother in the world. And I want to take a look at the relationship between Mary and Jesus starting before His birth, then after His birth, then into His adolescence, the beginning of His ministry, and on to the cross. Now that sounds like a lot of stuff, but... We're just going to hit the high points, amen? We're not going to do an exhaustive study, but we're going to look at these these times in Jesus' life and His life in ministry and the relationship between Mary and Jesus, and we're going to see what we can learn from it. And in order to do that, we're going to read some passages from the book of Luke and from the book of John. And these passages offer wonderful insights into the mother-son relationship between Mary and her son Jesus. And by delving into this very special relationship, we're going to see what we can learn about our own roles as mothers, fathers, and children who are seeking to fulfill the call of God on our lives. Amen? So turn with me in your devices or in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and we'll read verse 26 through 33. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 33. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Wow. Can you imagine being a young teenage girl and having the angel Gabriel appear to you and tell you all these fantastic things? You're going to conceive and have a son and call his name Jesus. Now, I know most of us are familiar with this story, but apart from the miraculous conception involved here, there are things we can learn that'll help us as mothers and fathers to be better stewards of the children that God has entrusted unto us. Amen? To begin with, we see that Mary was shown some pretty fantastic things about her son Jesus. He would be called the Son of the Highest. As a Jew, I'm telling you, she knew what that meant the Son of God Himself. He would inherit the throne. Of her ancestor, King David. He would be king over Jacob. That's another way of saying king over Israel, and his kingdom will have no end. Think about that. Empires and kingdoms come and go throughout the ages, but Jesus' kingdom, when he sets it up here on planet Earth, will never, ever have an end. Even after the thousand year reign of Christ, which is prophesied in the scriptures, his reign and his kingdom will continue on throughout eternity and we're going to be a part of it. Amen. So she was told some pretty awesome things. Now, while I'm pretty certain she didn't completely understand what all she was being told, she was nevertheless given this information. Why? so she could better understand exactly what kind of man her son Jesus would grow up to be. And so she could do her part to help him fulfill the call of God on his life. Now let me give you a relatively modern example of this kind of thing happening to a mother before her son was born. Reverend Kenneth E. Hagen, who went to be with Jesus in 2003, He left behind a huge legacy of faith that's still impacting the world today. And his teaching on faith had a major impact on my life. And while you may be familiar with Brother Hagen and his legacy, you probably haven't heard what happened to his mother before he was born. It turns out that an angel of God appeared to his mother before he was born and told her that God's call on his life was to go teach my people faith. And just like the case with Mary, she was given the information so that she could better understand what kind of man her son Kenneth would grow up to be. And so she could do her part to help him fulfill the call of God. On his life, amen. Now, let me speak to the everyday mothers here. Not everybody's the mother of Jesus, not everybody's the mother of Brother Kenneth Hagan, but I think every mother in here could recall at least one thing that the Lord showed you about your child or your children early on things that you knew on the inside, things that were revealed to you supernaturally early in their lives sometimes even before they were born. I think usually the mother gets wind of these things first and then the father catches up later. There are exceptions, of course. That is, if you're born again, if you're filled with the Spirit, and if you're paying attention to the voice of the Spirit of God, these things will be shown to you about your children. And whether you consciously realize it or not, you have probably used that information to help guide you and help you raise or continue to raise your children. Amen? Before Marcy, our oldest daughter, was born, it was prophesied by a very dear friend in Corpus Christi, Texas, that she would glorify God at a very early age. And Trish and I both had a witness in our spirit that it would have to do with music and worship. This was before she was born. And we used that revelation to help guide her and steer her as she followed her passion at a very early age. And no surprise to us, it was music and worship. And here she is many years later. Glorifying God as our worship leader here at Faith Life Fellowship. Amen. So recapping here, the thing we can learn from the passage we read in chapter 1 of Luke and from these personal testimonies is this. Listen to me. If your heart is sensitive to the Spirit and your desire is to raise your children to be the men and women that God has called them to be, God will give you glimpses of their destiny. So, you can do your part to help them fulfill the plan of God for their lives. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 19. If you would turn there with me in your Bibles or in your devices. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. "'Lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel "'a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, "'Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men.' "'So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven "'that the shepherds said to one another, "'Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, "'which the Lord has made known to us.' And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Now, listen to this verse. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Here we see that Mary received new information about her son after he was born. And she received it secondhand from other people. He would bring joy to all people. He would be a savior. He would be anointed of God. And an angel and a heavenly choir had announced his birth. And while the shepherds were telling everyone they could about the wonders of her child, she, I believe, was simply overwhelmed. It was just too much to process all at once. So she decided to remember these things, ponder them in her heart, until such time that God could help her put the pieces together. Amen? You know, sometimes you'll hear things from other people that you didn't know about your children. Aspects of their character, their personality that weren't revealed to you before. When that happens, the only thing you can do is keep those things in your heart, ponder them, and ask the Lord to give you wisdom. So you can help your children embrace the positive aspects of their character and personality and change or modify the negative aspects of their character and personality. Now, in the case of Jesus, of course, there were no negative aspects of his character and personality. He was perfect. Just wanted to make that clear. But I can give you a real-world example of what I'm talking about, and it's a story about myself. I call it Loud Scott. My mom tells the story of how she was called in for a consult because my teacher was concerned about how quiet I was in her fourth grade classroom. The teacher told my mom, his grades are fine, but Scott keeps to himself. He doesn't say anything in class unless he's asked a question directly by me. My mom was shocked and told the teacher, I don't understand. My child is the loudest child I've ever known. And most of the time, He can't keep still. Well, what my mom didn't know was that I was intimidated around authority figures, other than my parents, that is. (laughs) I would ham it up. I'd be loud and funny. I'd be wild and crazy when I was around my friends. But the minute an authority figure walked in like a teacher, I would clam up and I would be a different person. And even though she knew that I wanted to live a life of adventure, she knew I wanted to be a flyer one day. She had no idea that I was constantly daydreaming about it in my fourth grade classroom. Now, some of the things were potentially good, dreaming big and having a great sense of humor. They just had to be channeled in the proper way, in the proper setting, at the proper time. The fear of authority figures, though, was something that I had to overcome as I grew into adulthood, as I got a little older. So all of this was revealed to my mother secondhand by other people so that she could help me become the man that God called me to be, to do the things that God called me to do, and reach the people that God called me to reach. Amen. Again, you need to put those things that you have newly discovered about your child in your heart, ponder them. And seek the wisdom of God. So you can help them embrace those aspects of character and personality that are good and change or modify the ones that are not so good. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. All right, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, let me give you a little bit of context here. The distance between Nazareth and Jerusalem, as the crow flies, is about 64 miles. About four days by foot or by caravan, which seems likely in this scenario. And it must have been a pretty large caravan of friends and relatives because they thought he was maybe in another wagon, you know, half a mile down the caravan. And they thought everything was going to be fine until... He was missing for three days, actually a total of four days. So back to verse 46. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. How would we say that today in North Carolina language? Son, what were you thinking? Your father and I have been worried sick. What do you think you're doing, son? And his reply is in verse 49. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. I don't think I would either if my 12-year-old said that to me. (laughs) Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. That is a recurring theme with Mary. She kept learning more and more and more about her son as he started growing up. You know, more will be revealed about your child and their destiny as they begin to shift from childhood toward adulthood. Now, listen to this. And the fact that your child is only yours temporarily, but ultimately belongs to the Father, will become more and more apparent. Here we see that by the time Jesus was 12, He had already figured out from the Scriptures that He was the Son of God. Can you imagine being 12 years old and knowing you're the Son of God? And also probably knowing that one day you would give your life for the nation of Israel and ultimately for the world. He had started the shift in his heart toward fulfilling the calling that God had placed upon his life. And that calling would one day supersede the authority of his parents. So here they find him in the temple, in the house of God, asking and answering questions of the teachers of the law and the prophets. Psalm 69.9 says, the zeal of the house of God would consume him. So we see it beginning to manifest here. But when Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, his parents didn't understand. Listen, nevertheless, as was the case with all the other things Mary had heard about or seen in her son, she kept them in her heart and trusted that the Lord would one day help her put the pieces together. There's one thing I want you to see that's significant. Even though Jesus knew he was the Son of God and had a destiny like no other man before him, he wasn't yet an adult. So the Bible says he subjected himself to his parents' authority until the time was right for him to reveal to the world exactly who he was. He was following the law of God that said, Honor your father and your mother, Exodus 20, verse 12. In the same way, in this day and age, children who are not quite adults but are shifting in that direction may already know what it is that God has called them to do. But they have to submit that vision to the guidance and care of their parents until they're adults. Until they're charged with making their own life decisions, their own life choices, and pursuing their own destiny as they are personally led by the Spirit of God. So let's fast forward from the age of 12 to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when He was about 30 years old. Luke 3.23 said Jesus was about... 30 years old when he started his ministry. And I wonder about that. Does that mean he was 30 and a half? Or 29 and a half? Or somewhere in between? It's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? I think about such things. Everybody out there is going, what difference does it make? Well, to me, it's cool to contemplate. All right, John chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. This is the marriage feast of Cana and the changing of the water into wine. So pay close attention. I'm not going to read all the scriptures because I think most of you know the story. John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. In other words, mama wasn't taking no for an answer. And you probably know the rest of the story. Jesus told the servants to fill six water pots of stone with water, and then he turned the water into wine. Now you can skip on down to verse 11. And it says, this beginning of signs... The King James says this beginning of miracles Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. Amen. Once again, Jesus was about 30 years old at the time of this wedding, which is well past the time that He had to submit Himself to His mother's authority or His mother's wishes. You know, Exodus 20.12 said, Honor your mother and your father. But it was understood that early in life, that would mean honor and obey. But later in life, in adulthood, the requirement of obedience would no longer be in effect. Amen? In other words, you were to do all in your power to honor and respect your father and mother, but you were old enough to make your own decisions and make your own life choices. Now, at this time, Jesus had already been filled with the Spirit was anointed with the power of God, but it was not yet time for him to launch his miracle ministry. But I want you to see that Jesus so valued his relationship with his mother, he honored her to such a high degree that he actually adjusted the timeline of heaven and performed the first miracle of his ministry to meet what she determined to be a dire need. He did it to honor his mother first and foremost. You know, it seems likely to me that the host of the wedding must have been a relative or a close friend of the family and and Mary was just horrified that they'd run out of anything, much less wine. Evidently, it was a social faux pas in Jewish society. So the point is this. Jesus was not obligated to grant the request of His mother, but He did it out of honor for her and out of compassion for the wedding host. Amen. Now, a little fun diversion, which will be germane to the topic eventually. Now, I want to talk for just a minute about the volume of wine that was produced when Jesus turned that water into wine. And it'll tell you something about the type of person that Jesus is. I've done the math, so let me briefly tell you how much wine we're talking about. It turns out, That the six water pots of stone held about 150 gallons of water when they were filled. Which was then changed to wine by Jesus. So we're talking about 150 gallons of wine. 150 gallons of wine. Which when you do the math, equates to 750 modern day bottles of wine provided for this wedding. 750 bottles. Now, they didn't use bottles back then, but if it was today, there would be 750 bottles of wine now that weren't there before. Let's just say you had 100 guests at the wedding. That's seven and a half bottles per person, even at a large wedding. You know? Now, was Jesus all about contributing to drunkenness? I don't believe that. So let me summarize what I think is going on here. Number one, above all, Jesus did it to honor His mother, even though He had to adjust the timeline of heaven to do so. But something else significant. Listen to me. This will help you. When Jesus receives a request for provision, His desire is to meet that need with abundance, overflow, more than you could ever need. Why? Why? So there'd be plenty left over to give somebody else that needs something. Amen. Amen. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all my need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I guarantee you, His riches are greater than my riches. Luke 6.38 says in the context of giving, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, men will give to your bosom. Again, it is a picture of abundance. When Jesus meets a need for provision, He's not about just getting you by. He wants to provide abundance. Amen. And this is a powerful statement about that aspect of His character. Amen. So, we see in this last example from the motherhood of Mary that there will come a time when your children will grow up and will be released from their obligation to obey, and they will shift to honoring their father and their mother. And when that happens, you'll have to release your children to make their own life choices and their own life decisions. And they have to make up their own minds to follow the leading of the Lord so they fulfill the calling of God that is on their lives. And I can tell you from experience, having raised three daughters, that is not an easy thing to do. It really is not an easy thing to do. But it is necessary. You can't cling on to them forever. you got to release them to hear the Spirit of God for themselves. Amen. All you can do now, once you release them, is pray and support them in every way you can so that you can help them follow the plan of God for their lives. So they become the people that God called them to be, do the things that God called them to do, and reach the people God called them to reach. Amen. All right. One last passage and one last lesson. John chapter 19, verse 25 through 27. John 19, 25 to 27. Jesus is on the cross. It's the last hour of his life. It's not a pretty picture. Verse 25 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, that's the Apostle John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple, that is John, took her to his own home. You know, a few verses later, Jesus cries out, It is finished, and his spirit leaves his body. So I want you to see that even after the crushing weight of sin and the darkness of this world has been laid upon his shoulders, Jesus' heart and mind were on his mother. He couldn't leave this world without making sure she would be well taken care of. So he looks at Mary, and he looks at John, and he says, Mom, this is your new son. He's going to take care of you. Then he looks at John and says, Take care of my mama. Take good care of my mama. Now, that's my paraphrase. That's the heart of Jesus. Listen, Jesus still had important work to do in the spirit realm, And he couldn't do it until he knew his mama was going to be taken care of. I find that deeply moving. Deeply moving. So wrapping things up this morning, what can we learn from this last passage of Scripture? Well, this is what I get out of it. When we children grow up and become adults, we can't effectively run our race and finish our course until we make the shift from honoring and obeying our parents to honoring, protecting, and serving them in whatever capacity is required or necessary. If that means making sure they're taken care of in their older years, then so be it. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Mary and Jesus. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page, at Faith Life Wilmington.